So we're going to be in John chapter 4. When, when Brenna and I were dating, um, my wife, when we were dating, when she was rapidly falling in love with me, um, <laughs> head over heels, uh, she lived in Fort Worth at the time, and I was here, and we would commute. And I remember this very vividly. We were in her, um, in her living room, and she was on her computer maybe doing something, or maybe it popped up on her phone. I don't know. Uh, but she got this email, and the email was a very brief email, and it said, hey, you've won a $1,000 uh, gift card to Payway. And it was signed like so-and-so marketing director for Payway. I mean, that was, that was it. So we don't know this person. We don't know where this email is from. We don't know why we have it. And so we did what any reasonable person would do. It was like, here's our social security number. Here's our credit card. <laughs> what do you need, you know? Um, no, so we start Googling it. We start figuring out, like, is this some scam going around? And then I think Brenna, we can't find anything. We can't find anything about this being a scam or anything. And I think we found the, the person's name um, and maybe like on LinkedIn or something. And it was like, okay, this person seems to actually be like the marketing director for Payway. Um, and so, and then Brenna remembered that on Facebook, it was like, pick your favorite lettuce wrap and maybe win $1,000 to Payway. And she was like, you know, I don't know, like Asian fire or something. I don't know what it, what it was. But so she picked it. She, she I think this is real. And, and all the email said was, we need your address. So I was like, hey, what, what could it hurt? You know, like, uh, so we send, we send the address and then, um, and then boom, in the mail, thousand bucks to fine dining at Payway. <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. So we go out for the first dinner, swipe the card, and it's like, you know, your balance is $970. And it was like we're set, we're rich, you know, like, uh, no, don't have to worry about retirement anymore, you know, it's like, it's awesome. Um, so we go to Payway again for our second of what is going to be many Payway dinners, and um, they, they swipe the card, and they come back, and they say, hey, sorry, there's nothing on this card, and I'm like, no, trust me, there's a lot on that card, you know? Um, so they say, no, there's, there's nothing on it. So we're like super confused, you know? And we email this marketing director or something, hey, the card is just drained. Like, it, it, it was legit. There was money on now it's drained. I don't know what she said in response. I think she just said, hey, uh, we'll send you another thousand bucks. That was like, that was it. It was like, someone probably drained it. Someone somehow, probably, probably the guy, honestly, at Payway that swiped it was like, Balance of 970 was like Googling how to drain that card onto his, I don't know, into his bank account. I don't know. Sends us another $1,000. Um, so we were, we were stoked about that. And, um, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to Payway here in town, and I'm going to get them to break this up into $100 gift cards, right? So if we lose this, we don't lose 1000 Like If we lose one, we still have 900 So I'm like, hey, break this up into 10 So he, the guy does his deal, breaks it up, gives me 10 gift cards. <clears throat> and I'm like, sweet, you know, um, got some safety net. So we go out for some payway, swipe the card, and they, they come back, and um, they're like, hey, balance on this card is like 970 bucks on one of the cards. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I'm like, you know, did they put $1,000 on one of these and then 100 on the other? So I, I now have $1,900 to pay away. <laughs> Or, or did they like, did the guy like make an error and I now literally am walking around with $10,000 to pay away? This is a hundred percent true story. Um, 
I had, a, I had a lot of money to pay away at one point in my life, and like, I wasn't sure how much I had in my hand and in my pocket. You know what I mean? So just to cap this story off for you um, <clears throat> and move on with what matters, um, I go to Payway in town because I'm honest, and, I give the, and I'm like, hey, guys, I have $1,000, and you broke it up, and I think you gave me like 1900 I think you gave me uh, $900. So the guy goes in the back to talk to his manager. He's probably never encountered this before. I'm trying to give them money back. I don't know how gift cards work, but I'm, I'm trying to give them money back. He comes out and he's like, hey man, we're pretty busy. Can you come back later? It's like, what manager? Like what manager is like, come back, you know? But, and every time I tell this story, everyone's like, you should have never come back. But I went back and I gave him, I gave him the money back. Point of the story is at one point in my life, I had... I had more than I realized in my hand. At one point in my life, I had a lot more in my pocket than I realized. And the central character in our story in John chapter 4 had way more in his life. He had way more in front of him than he realized, that he knew. Something bigger, something better, something more powerful than he could have dreamed I mean, when you gave me a thousand bucks to pay away, it was, I wasn't like, man, I wish it was two thousand. It's like, I can't believe they're doing this. I mean, I didn't dream of like something bigger. You and I do this often. Often we live our lives not realizing how much we, how much we have. We see it in John 4. We see it in our lives as well. So uh, please stand for the hearing of God's word. A reading from John chapter 4, beginning at verse 43. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana, in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when, it, when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would 
speak now to us. You would address us not only uh, to deliver information, to, to deliver content, to deliver truth from the scriptures, but to accomplish something in us, to accomplish something in our lives and for us. Would you speak in power? Would you deliver good news uh, to our souls, to weary, tired, sinful souls? Would you deliver grace and good news that we might receive and rest in even more than we realize we have, that we would be changed on the spot, that you would make your word uh, here specifically in John 4 more uh, clear uh, to our minds and real to our hearts, um, and then it would be a word of power for us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the, here's the setup. Um, John tells us that, that the Galileans had seen what Jesus had done at a feast in Jerusalem. They'd seen wonders from him. They'd seen miraculous things being done by Jesus. And, uh, and he's back in town. He's back uh, actually in Cana, uh, where in John chapter 2, if you remember, he turns water to wine. So he's in wine country in Cana, where he probably has a wild reputation. John wants us to know that about Jesus. He wants us to know that about the, the territory he's in, that they've seen his wonders, they've heard of his wonders, and he now has a, a wild reputation of being a wonder worker. It's, it's something that they're just like you and me. Uh, they are limited and, and controlled in life more than they care to admit. And then someone shows up on the scene to, who seemingly has power over things and control over things that you could never dream of. He can turn water to wine. He can do all sorts of wonders and works that, that you and I would not think uh, uh, possible by someone in front of us. So they're enthralled by him. They are, they're amazed by him. And when he shows up back into town, it's like, it's like what's going to happen? What fireworks are about to go off? So uh, that's the setting. Uh, look at the uh, last half of verse 46. Here is our specific story. And at Capernaum, there was a, an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So there is this uh, uh, official in Capernaum about 17 to 20 uh, miles north of Cana. He's on the Sea of Galilee, okay, and he's north of Cana, and so he has to travel uphill into the mountains to get into Cana. It'd be like a, a half day's journey from where he is and where Jesus is. Um, this official is um, some kind of high-ranking servant employee of, of King Herod. Herod really wasn't a king, but that's kind of how he's known. Herod being the guy that later on is going to interrogate and question Jesus when Jesus is hours from his death, that's his boss. That's who we're talking about. He's an employee of him. So he, he has probably above average influence of, uh, in life, above average control, above average finances maybe. Okay, so this is a, this is a special kind of uh, a, a guy. But whatever control uh, this guy had in life, uh, over and above most people, whatever influence, whatever money, whatever clout, whatever it might be, Death shows up to his family, and death equals the playing field between the lowest and low and the highest of high. It equals the playing field for him. When death shows up, his baby boy is sick, and they know he's going to die. 
and they've probably exhausted all resources to figure out how to help him and how to get him healthy. Parents, you can imagine. You can imagine. This is, this is an easy story if you're a parent to step into. When you imagine that the story on your baby boy's life is about to close far earlier than you would have ever thought. The story on your baby girl's life is about to close. Whether your baby boy is moms, whether they're nine, or whether they're, your baby boy is 45, right? The story's about to close a lot earlier, and, and maybe you've done everything you know, and no one can help. No one can help. There's nothing, nothing could be bigger for this guy, for this official, than to get his boy back. And he's heard of Jesus. He's heard of the wonder worker. But who knows where he is, right? Is he going to come back into town? Could I possibly find him? You know, I can't check Twitter for his whereabouts, right? Um, I've heard of this Jesus. I think he can do something. Who knows where he is? Nothing could be bigger for him to receive from Jesus than his boy back from certain death. And then all of a sudden he hears Jesus is 20 miles away in Cana, a half day's journey. So out of desperation, he leaves his son's deathbed. Imagine that. Not knowing. I mean, he's going to, who knows, is Jesus still there? <clears throat> am I going to be able to find him? Right? Or am I going to leave my son's deathbed? And maybe Jesus is gone by the time I get there. And maybe when I come back, the story's over. The book's closed. But out of sheer desperation as a parent, you get it. He leaves. I mean, he will do anything because nothing could be bigger for him than to get his son back. So he leaves, he uh, goes to Cana, and he asks Jesus, come down, come, literally come down from the mountains, come to my home because my boy is sick and he's going to die and I need you to heal him. I need you to come home with me right now to heal my boy. Taking all that into account makes Jesus' response to him utterly jolting. Look at verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Okay, the only way I know how to explain this is to bring you into my world as I read and I study this text all week. This is like a bomb that goes off in this story, is it not? I mean, right when you read it, you probably, it's like a bomb that goes off that sends out all these emotionally charged questions. Not just like theological questions, like what, what do you mean there technically if we look into the Greek? Like, my boy is going to die. What kind of response is that? What does that even mean? How, what is going on here? I mean, this, this response raises so many questions for me. He just walked maybe 20 miles away from, from his son's deathbed. Not because on the walk he's going, I don't believe Jesus can do anything. I don't believe Jesus can do anything. It's the opposite. I mean, clearly he believes, right? What do you mean unless you see, you won't believe? Clearly he believes, right? I mean, he just, think about what he's doing. To go find Jesus, to say, come down, heal my son. He doesn't show up and say, hey, I've heard some stuff. Can you do this? Is this like in the realm of possibility? He believes. You're the wonder worker. You can do this. I need my boy back. So what does this mean that he says, unless you, and, and to make it more jolting, uh, Jesus, the response here is plural. It's not you singular official, it's you plural. So is your attention divided? Like I need undivided attention and singular power in my life right now. 
and, and apparently you're thinking about not just me, but the people around us? Like, what kind of response is this? What does Jesus mean? What is Jesus doing with this response? He believes, right? Look at verse 49. Look at how he responds. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Exact same request. Not a debate, not a, oh, hold on. Can we talk about this response real quick? You, the only thing that matters in this guy's life is my boy is going to die, and I need you to bring him back from death. So when Jesus brings this response that to you and me, at least to me, is utterly confusing and strange, his mind is on one thing. Nothing could be bigger, nothing could be better than to get my son back, so I'm just going to ask the same thing again. I need you to come down and heal my son. Nothing could be bigger for him. So what does Jesus mean? I mean, what, clearly he believes. I mean, he believes in the wonder worker to do this. So what does Jesus mean? That unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. The only way to figure it out, we start to see it in verse 50. Jesus said to him, this is after he makes the request again, come down before my child dies. In verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Did you catch what just happened? This man leaves his son's deathbed with a plan. The wonder worker can bring him back from the dead. And I'm going to go get him. And I'm going to tell him, you need to come down. You need to come down from the mountains of Cana. You need to come down to my home territory Apparently, he needs to come into his house, maybe. Maybe he thinks Jesus needs to see the boy to heal him. Maybe Jesus needs to touch the boy to heal him. Maybe Jesus just needs to speak, but the boy needs to be able to hear it. But either way, he's got to come into my house. He's got to come into my hometown. That's his plan this whole time. He requests it twice, emphatically. I need you to come down. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, go, your son will live. And he goes. He, he believes his word. Jesus speaks a word of life. It's actually literally present tense. Go, your son lives. Your son lives. Go, life. And then all of a sudden, his faith seems to embrace more of Jesus. All of a sudden, Jesus is not the wonder worker who needs to be present and, and see the water to turn it into wine. He needs to be present to touch the boy. The boy needs to be able to hear his audible voice. All of a sudden, Jesus can speak a word that, that travels 20 miles down the sea and gives life to his son. All of a sudden, when Jesus speaks, it's like his faith embraces more of Jesus. He, he discovers that Jesus is bigger and better and more powerful than he's realized this whole time. He's got more in Jesus standing in front of him than he realized the entire time. So all of a sudden, he's embracing more. All of a sudden, his faith is not moving away from Jesus in response to how Jesus responded. His faith is moving deeper into Jesus, into something wider and bigger and better, and it gets more interesting. Because when he leaves, his servants meet him. His servants meet him, and they say, your son lives. The son is recovering. Maybe his fever broke for the first time. Something happened, and they leave to go get the official to tell him, hey, your son lives life. And when he meets him, he says, what hour? 
what hour did, he, did, did all of a sudden life come back to him? And they say the seventh hour. And then look at verse 53, what the father thinks. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And this is huge. And he himself believed in all his household. Why does John tell us that a man who just believed the word of Jesus enough to turn around and walk home without Jesus, totally different plan, I needed Jesus, but apparently now I don't need Jesus because he just healed my son. So I'm going to go home. Why does when he gets the confirmation that, yeah, the boy recovered the instant Jesus spoke, why does John tell us again and he himself believed? Don't we already know that? Don't we already know that he believes in Jesus? Haven't we already seen his faith grow? Why is he telling us that? Three times we're told that he believes. He heard of Jesus, and he believed enough to leave his home to go find him. Then when Jesus spoke, he believed it, and he took his word, and he left. And then all of a sudden we're told again that when he gets this concrete confirmation, the moment Jesus spoke life, there was life. John says he believed. Why? This is why. John is telling us that our faith is meant to move into deeper, wider, higher, thicker realities of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Our faith is not meant to move away from Jesus at some point in life. Our faith in Jesus as the object of our faith is meant to move into deeper caverns of of who he really is, that he's bigger, that he's better, that he's more powerful, than we ever dreamed, than we ever thought possible. That is what John is doing. The Christian life is about discovering what's in the hand of faith. All that you really have in Jesus, plumbing the depths of Jesus and who he is and what he came to do. That's that's the Christian life. It is, as Paul says, living by faith in the Son of God. But how often are we taught the opposite? How often are we taught or we think just naturally that we come to Jesus and we become believers? We we come to the wonder of Jesus, the wonder of grace, the wonder of forgiveness, the wonder of justification, uh, the wonder of, of mercy. And then we think, I got it. I got it. I've exhausted all there is of grace and who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. And we do the opposite of what happens to this official. We start to almost reduce Jesus, or we're taught to almost reduce Jesus to now it's about seeking out wonders and miracles and wild experiences. That's who Jesus is for me. He was He was the wonder of grace and justification and mercy and love. And now I've moved on to something else, experiences in the Christian life. Or maybe he was the wonder of grace and mercy and justification and the cross and and all he is and all he came to do. And I was amazed, but now I've moved on to a focus on ethics or morality or, or Jesus is now just for me a moral example of how to live. Of course, I believe in him. Of course, you know, it's like the back burner salvation faith. Of course, he's those things. But now it's just, I need a miracle. Now it's just, I need a moral example to follow on a day-to-day basis. 
Do we need miracles? Of course. Do we follow some of Jesus's example? Sure. We don't follow the example of atonement. Uh, of course. Um, but Jesus is so much bigger. He is so much better. He is so much more power. There's so much more to him than we realize when we first become believers. So John is saying the Christian life is looking at Jesus and then exploring and discovering all of the depths of Jesus and who he is and what he came to do. So what's the reality? When I say move into a deeper reality of Jesus, what is that reality? What is the reality? What is, what is this official's faith in? Well, three times we're told that he believes, but three times John repeats in this short story, three times that the son lives. First, uh, Jesus tells him, your son will live, your son lives, and he takes him at his word. And then John records that when the servants meet him, the servants say, your son lives. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, John records again that the father knew that that was the hour when what? Jesus said, your son lives life, 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 over and over and over again. But here's the question, where is that life? Where is that life for you and me? Well, in the gospel of John, the whole gospel of John, there's another father-son relationship that we see play out all throughout the gospel of John. And the father has a similar word as the father in our story. He has a similar word that um, my son is going to die. But it's not a word that he, the father, hates. It's not a word or a message that the father tries to avoid. And it's not a word or a message or a charge that the son tries to avoid. It's actually a planned word. It's a word that the son, the son, the wonder worker, embraces. I'm going to die. So that Jesus can look at the official and say, go, your son lives. Your son will live because I am going to die. You can have life because I am going to lay my life down for you. And Jesus doesn't do this. The wonder worker in the gospel of John doesn't make a beeline to the cross, to his death, merely to give temporary life. I mean, we know that the official got his son back, but we know that that son is going to die. Jesus didn't show up to work a wonder, a temporary wonder, a temporary life. He said he was going to go lay his life down and then pick it back up again and then unleash resurrection life on you and me. John calls it eternal life, forever life, complete life, whole life, life uh, that can't be destroyed, life that can't be taken away even by death itself. Jesus himself says this later in the Gospel of John, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live. Because the son said, I will go and lay my life down. Because that's the charge the father has given me. 
and I'll pick it back up again to give resurrection eternal life. So we don't just have a wonder worker who can do some amazing things. We have a wonder worker who has given us everything we could ever dream of. The love of God, the presence of God, the peace of God in eternal indestructible life. Amen.